Welcome, welcome, friends. I uh, hope you listened to the previous episode. This is episode 144. The previous episode was 143. If you can, if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it because it'll make a lot more sense once we start talking about 144. How are you, Lou? I'm very good. Yeah, last episode was an introduction to basically the subject of chapter 14. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. It, this, is, this chapter is the distinction between the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. And this is not described in any other scriptures or religion or philosophies. This is the only place that you get it, and this makes so much sense. Today, what we're going to be talking about is chapter 14, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And 1 and 2 is fairly generic in terms of the kind of things that we've talked about so far, but three and four is almost mind-blowing when it comes to the concept of God and father, God being termed father. You know, this is where we get in the, a lot of the other religions that came uh, at the year zero or um, at the birth of Christ. At right. that time is when we say this is the common era. Uh, and every religion then talks of God as father. And, but this, these scriptures, Upanishads and Gita, you will see why it calls God Father. This is very, very interesting. Anyway, verse 1, it says, I will again declare again. First of all, he says again. So he said it so many times in the last 13 verses. He's saying, I will again declare, meaning make it crystal clear, the supreme knowledge. Knowledge that is higher than terrestrial knowledge like physics, chemistry, mathematics, business, etc. The supreme knowledge, knowledge of consciousness, the best of knowledge, having known which all sages have gone from here to ultimate perfection. So basically what he's saying is once you get to know this supreme knowledge, you will become immortal, meaning you will not be born again. You will not have to be born again because you fulfilled all of your vasanas and you've gone to immortality. So what he says, I'm repeating something I've said already to you in the last 13 verses. I will make it crystal clear, meaning I will declare it. This supreme knowledge is superior to other knowledges. Why? Because when you say supreme knowledge, it means it's talking about pure, unconditioned consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now remember, when Atman, Brahman, life, God comes down to us, that is pure, unconditioned consciousness, pure. When that pure consciousness falls on your perceptions, eyes, ears, nose, that becomes conditioned. For the longest period of time, I never understood what conditioned consciousness was. Mm -hmm. Although I heard it being spoken just as I'm speaking it to you today, but try and understand. If you don't, it'll come to you when you hear it enough times. Pure con unconditioned consciousness drops on your sense organs. And what you see, that consciousness is allowing you to see it. So it's conditioned by the fact that it's working through your eyes or your ears. That's conditioned consciousness for perception. Mm -hmm. When con unconditioned consciousness falls on your mind, you have thoughts, emotions, feelings. That's conditioned consciousness through your mind. When your 
unconditioned consciousness falls on your intellect, those are decisions making, knowledge, etc., that is conditioned by the intellect. So there's many different ways of conditioning consciousness. So that's pure unconditioned consciousness that is known as supreme knowledge. Once you get that, you far surpass this terrestrial knowledge of physics, chemistry, biology, etc. It is because that terrestrial knowledge is only useful while you're on this earth. When you're no longer here, when you're in a coma, when you're asleep, that terrestrial knowledge really doesn't do you any good. Um, the knowledge of the self remains even after you die because the self is forever. You get that knowledge and you take it on to the next life. Verse 2, this taking refuge in this knowledge and attaining unity with me, with a capital M, Brahman, they, meaning the sages who know this, are neither born again in creation nor disturbed in dissolution. So what does that mean, born in creation and disturbed in dissolution? So we know that when there was a Big Bang Theory, everything was one little small piece that basically burst out and went all over, causing creation. In Sanskrit, that is known as Sarga or Prabhava. Prabhava or Sarga is the entire world emerges at the time of cosmic creation, correct? We've talked about this before, right, Lou? Yes. And dissolution is known as pralaya or cosmic dissolution, where at the end of so many billion years, everything comes back into a pinpoint. We've talked about that too. So he's saying that they are neither born during creation nor disturbed in dissolution. Now, we're going to talk about something very interesting. The Hindu mythology for the common person to understand, instead of understanding, you know, the creation, maintenance, and then dissolution, gave, as it does with often with these things, the name and shape and a figure of the different gods to it. Right. Yeah. Bear with me if you don't know about this. But there's three main gods for this. One is called Brahma. Brahma, you've heard of Brahma bull? Yes. Brahma is, doesn't have an N at the end. I don't know why in Sanskrit they made everything so similar, but Brahman with an N at the end is really Atman or the self or God, Brahman with an N. Right. Brahma without the N at the end is the God of creation. He is supposed to create the world and us and everything else, Brahma. That's the cosmic creator. Shiva is the destroyer. Shiva comes and destroys the, and everything goes back into the pinpoint. And while it's around, alive, Vishnu is the maintainer. By the way, Lou, did you know that if you go to the Grand Canyon, these are the three terms used there, Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma, fascinating. That's no. a, a whole other thing we'll talk about. The Grand Canyon has this. Anyway, you have to dedicate yourself. Taking refuge in this knowledge and attaining union with me means, he's saying in the Gita, uh, dedicate yourself to this knowledge. Focus on it. Understand it. You know, as we're attached to our computers, our internet, our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, give that much attention to this and you will be forever one with God. You merge into 
Brahman, Atman, like a wave merges into an ocean. You don't see the distinction between a wave and an ocean once that wave goes in there. Similarly, you too will go. There is a continuous chain of creation and dissolution all the time with everything. Morning goes to afternoon, morning dies, afternoon is born. Afternoon goes into evening, afternoon dies, evening is born. Evening goes into nighttime, evening dies, nighttime is born. But throughout all this, a day and night is maintained. So birth, death, maintenance during this time. Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu, okay? We've got to have this clear because the mythology understands. Now, the substratum holding the creation and dissolution together, the substratum holding Brahma and Shiva together is Vishnu or Supreme Brahman. These names could get confusing, but it's important for you to keep in mind because we're going to be talking about that. Now, verse 3 and 4, important for you to focus here, friends. You may need to listen to this again. Verse 3 says, you're laughing, Lou. Verse 3 says, my womb, womb, like uterus, is great Brahma, without the end, the God that makes creation. My womb is great Brahma. In that I place, I meaning Brahman, Atman, the God, my womb is great Brahma, in that I place the seed. Thence arises the birth of all beings. I, God, Brahman, place my seed inside the womb of the great Brahma, and from it arises all beings. Okay, keep this yeah. clearly in mind. Verse 4, which is usually sung along with verse 3, says, Whatever forms or beings are produced in all wombs of great Brahma is their womb. Whatever forms are produced in all wombs, every uterus, every person, the great Brahma is their womb. I am the seed-giving father. So it says, doesn't matter if it's Brahma creating the world or any woman creating a baby, I am the father. Mm -hmm. Okay, very important. So he's saying, my womb is the one from which, which all beings arise. I am the mother, I am the father, meaning I am the one that's creating this. I am the female, I'm the male. I am the Purusha, I am the Prakriti, right? We've talked about this in chapter 13, where because of Brahman, because of God, because of Atman, produces the Prakriti. We wouldn't have earth if it weren't for uh, God creating this. I am the Purusha, I am the Prakriti, I am the womb, I am the seed, I am the father. What is produced in all the many combinations or in varying degrees, of all beings of the earth. So whether it's a mouse or a dog or a horse or an elephant or a human being, it's a combination of matter and spirit, life. He's saying that I really am both. I am making all of this. I, the father, I am producing this. I am producing this through the creator, which is Brahma. Don't get confused, there is no Brahma. There's no such thing as Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. This is just for mythology right. to produce. Right. The analogy is, you know, when there's a big, in the summer, hot weather like we have now, you know, ocean, lakes, rivers, lots of water, 
all that water evaporates. Now look at the H2O in this water, whether it's be in a river or a lake or ocean. The right. heat produces water vapor. That water vapor goes up, forms a cloud. The clouds come together, become dark clouds, light clouds, and then there's rain, torrential rain, and that water comes back into the ocean or the river or the lake. Throughout all of this, it is still H2O. Right. Whether it's the river or the lake or the ocean, whether it's the um, water vapor, whether it's a cloud, whether it's rain, it's all H2O. So he's saying that it doesn't matter whether it's the womb of Brahma or a womb of any woman on this earth that is carrying a baby, that womb and the fetus inside and I are all the same, just like H2O. Right. So these species, he's also saying, will differ. Differ between a mouse and a dog and an elephant, but that's still me. Creation of matter and spirit. Don't get bored, folks. This is very important as a basis. All matter, whether it's a combination of mouse, dog, elephant, human being, it's still a combination of matter and spirit. The shape changes may right. look like an elephant or a human being, but there's still both matter and life combined. Within human beings, within elephants, the species, you may have different looking human beings, different looking elephants, but it's still me. It's still me, Brahman. I'm still the father. As time goes on, I change. Dinosaurs are no longer there. I produce other kinds of beings from the dinosaurs. Right. So, but it's still me. You, uh, recently we had this uh, robot on Mars, right, Lou? Right, yes. And that robot as you go around, as the robot goes around on Mars and takes videos and photographs and sends it back to Earth, it said, we found boulders around this particular area. So the conclusion was that if there were boulders coming together at one place, shaped in a fashion that would have had there been running water, right. then there must have been water on Mars. There must have been rivers and water and life here. Whether that's true or not, I'm just telling you that these planets, this life, whether it comes and goes, who knows, maybe billions of years from now, they'd say, oh, yeah, Earth, there's boulders here. There must have been life on this Earth. I don't right. know. On 60 Minutes, on Sunday, what day was it? The 16th of May or um, yes, 17th of May 16th. of 2021, you will find there was a program. I don't know if you got to see it, Lou, on um, UFOs. I saw, I, I saw it. It happened, but I haven't seen it yet. No. It is so fascinating. They're saying now that next month the Pentagon is going to yeah. come out with uh, a full document, uh, full disclosure of what they know about these. And they're basically saying that these are from other planets. They're, so it's, it's fascinating. But He's saying that whatever you see, whatever changes, is all coming from me. Um, that whether it's a protoplasm, you know, in, in biology, we learned right. that there's a single cell anema, uh, amoeba, that is just one cell. But each one of our bodies has trillions of cells, and each cell has the same kind of life. But when all the cells get together and they form one group, you say, oh, these are all kidney cells. 
right. billions of kidney cells that together form one kidney, billions of heart cells that form one heart or form a brain. So each cell in and of itself is an individual. Then they collect together to form a group, say the kidney or the heart or the brain or whatever, and this keeps changing. So Brahman, Atman, life produces all of this in its seed. That's what he's talking about. I am the father. It's all a combination of me, Brahman, Prakriti and Purusha. I am the one who put the seed of life, the seed of consciousness in the being, the seed of consciousness in our being. A tiny seed, you take a little uh, mango seed and you put it in the ground and it comes out years later as a huge tree, branches, leaves, fruit, flowers. And how does it do that? How does it all of this is encapsulated into a tiny little mustard seed or raisin seed or whatever. This is all very, very fascinating to say yeah. where does it come from. Now, this part will also be very interesting. Remember we talked about Brahma being the creator, Vishnu is the maintainer, and Shiva is the destroyer. Mm -hmm. In India, you will see temples, millions of temples for Vishnu or Shiva or other Lakshmi, Maruti, all this, you will find only maybe two temples in all of India for Brahma. Hmm. Only. Why? Why is Brahma not worshipped? You say, well, there's mythology behind the reason Brahma is not worshipped. Oh yeah, what's that mythology? Brahma apparently created a beautiful woman, so beautiful, the most beautiful woman ever. And I can talk to you about why woman is designated as the epitome of all sense organs. Right. And, and that is because all senses plus the mind is involved in running after the desire for woman. Right. But Brahma created this woman and then made her so beautiful that he himself, Brahma, started running after her. <laughs> and you say, what kind of a god is that if you're going to run after it? So Brahma is not worshipped. That plus he told a lie to Shiva that I know where you began and stuff like that. That's all mythology. Yep. The main reason, and here you have to pay a little bit attention. Main reason is that if Brahma created, carefully, listen, if Brahma created the world, then Brahma is not a God. Brahma cannot be Brahman. Brahma cannot be Atman, life. Why? Because to create something, you have to act. And if you act, you remember, thought, desire, action. Yeah. That means that if Brahma created the world, then Brahma must have had a desire. And Brahma cannot be God if you have a desire. Because God has no vasanas. God has no desires. For us to become immortal, we have to give up our desires. Therefore, to say that a God, Atman, Self, Brahman, has desires, therefore he created the world, means that he's not a God. So therefore, why pray to something that doesn't have, uh, um, that his, has action, that has desires right. or vasanas? So because of that, Brahma is not prayed to. Another example. Snake. You see a rope. It's in the garden. It's twilight. As you're walking by, you say, oh my goodness, there's a snake there under the bushes. It's not a snake. It's a rope. But you have misapprehended, misperceived, misseen that rope and imagined it to be a snake. Here, Brahman, Atman, 
God has is all everywhere. You don't see God as God. So therefore, you see God as an elephant. God is producing the matter, giving it life, but really it's God. You don't perceive it as God. You see it as an elephant or a human being. Right. Which is why in India they put a mark on the forehead to say, look at the mark, recognize and remember, this is just God. This is Atman. Don't look at his face. Don't look at how beautiful he is, she is. Don't look at her body, his body. Look at the fact that this is Atman. This is spirit. This is life. Focus on that. And if you focus on that, you get past looking at the Prakriti. You're looking at pure God. Right. So non-apprehension, when you don't see that this is a rope, leads to misapprehension. You say, I don't see it as this, therefore I see it as a snake. Because I don't see it as a rope, I see it as a snake. Right. If the rope, you didn't see the rope at all, you're walking the other direction, you wouldn't see a snake. Because you see the rope, the rope is present, therefore the snake is present in your mind. Now, did the rope create the snake? No. Did God create the world? No. But if the rope had not been there and you had not misapprehended the rope, you would not have seen the snake. So if God had not been there, you would not have seen this world as world. Are you with me so far? I am. Okay. It, this seems like the basic struggle here with, of, of this, which is how we're trying to recognize and become one again, realize Brahman, but Brahman doesn't activate our senses at all. So we have no way to process it. So we have to try to find a way to process the concept. And sometimes that means turning them into a, a god or an elephant or you know, however it is. So we look at it because we try to see it through the context of our senses. Yes. And that becomes very difficult because you yeah. cannot perceive Atman or God through your senses. Right. You cannot conceive of God through your intellect and you cannot feel or have emotions. But you have to be able to separate. That's what we talked about in Chapter 13. Separate Atman, Purusha from Prakriti. You have to separate the two. So what he's saying here is that you need to be able to say that although I see the snake, it is because I don't comprehend that there's a rope there. Right. Once you see somebody turns on the flashlight and you see, oh, that's a rope. You say, oh, that's not a snake, that's a rope. And he turns off the flashlight, you're gonna not see the snake, you're gonna see the rope. But what this is about um, taking all of our sensory input and not believing it all, understanding that a lot of it is illusion. And once you get that skill, you start to parse out what is illusion and what is more real. Oh, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So. You brought up illusion, and that's a very important people for things for people to understand. Understand the difference between an illusion and a hallucination. What Lou said was illusion. Understand what a hallucination is. People have auditory, all the senses give you hallucinations. Right. Only the senses, the sense organs. A hallucination, if you see a visual hallucination, you are actually seeing something that is not there at all, right? People say, I saw this thing, whatever. Yeah. That's a visual hallucination. 
say, I heard my name being called. You know, people who are schizophrenic or yep. psychiatrically ill have visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. They sit there and they hear themselves, hear something talking to them and they talk back. You've heard of this. You've seen it in the movies. You may have seen it in real life where people actually hear things and they respond talking to them. Those are auditory hallucinations. You're standing right next to that person. You don't hear anything, but he hears it as clearly as you are hearing my voice right now. That's a hallucination. Now, an illusion is where I'm sitting here and my wife says something from the other room. And I say, what? Did you call me? And she says, no, I was saying X. Yeah. And I didn't call your name, but I heard it to be my name. I heard it. To, that's an illusion. It's a misperception of something that somebody said because of the fact that she said it. I thought my name was being called. All I right. see something. Let me, a, let me get a brownie point to this because a, <laughs> if I can, because a um, what you talked about before was creating something in a, a uh, what did it wasn't an illusion what did you call it a misapprehension uh, yeah before when you talk about a schizophrenic or something they hear something that's not there and they're not taking it in through their senses it's totally created in their mind yes yes and illusion is and how am i doing here it's a conditioned Perfect. consciousness right it's <laughs> you look at the rope and your experience and what you understand takes that stimulus from your sense organ and creates a snake out of it. Correct. Yeah. So your brownie points galore to you. <laughs> yeah. So you look out in this twilight and the light is not very clear. You see something moving in the bushes and you right. say, oh, I saw a, a, a lion over there. Right. It may not have been a lion, may have been a deer, may have been a dog, may have just been the breeze moving the plants, but you, your senses, misperceive, misapprehend, missee that, and you say, I saw a lion, I saw a tiger, I saw this. And it may have just been the breeze moving the bushes from one side to the next. So, so when we see a person, our conditioned consciousness shows us the person, the human, the body, because we don't understand the concept of Brahman and we have to get beyond our conditioned consciousness to understand that we're not seeing the human, the body, it was seeing Brahman, but but we we don't have the wherewithal to coalesce that in our mind, right? This is yes, development. Yes, yes. So because it's dark, because you're seeing the snake, you say, "Oh, I see a snake." Mm -hmm. You don't have the wherewithal. You don't have the light. You don't have the knowledge to perceive this as a rope. So you are not seeing the rope as the so rope. You're seeing it as a snake. Right. You don't have the knowledge, the supreme knowledge that he talked about in verse one to see God as God. Right. So you see God as everything else that God has uh, given consciousness to. So you misinterpret God mm -hmm. as if God created the world when God did not create the world. If there were no rope, you wouldn't see the, snow, uh, the snake. God doesn't create because that would be an action. Actions follow a desire. God has no desires. Now, can you blame the rope? Well, then you say, well, then I blame God. For, can you blame the rope because you see a snake? No. No, the rope is just the rope. You misinterpret. God cannot create the world because God doesn't do any actions. Right. God has no uh, desires. The three gunas have no effect on the self. 
sattvic, rajasic, tamasic, no effect on the self. So you could see that snake that you misinterpret the rope as being a snake. You could see it and say, oh, I saw, I saw a black snake. Your neighbor next door to you said, immediately standing next to you said, no, 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 it's a gold snake. I see it with diamonds on it, so it must be a rattlesnake. Another person standing next to him says, no, no, it's not a snake, it's a twig. Fourth person says, no, it's a crack in the road. It's not a snake, it's not a twig, it's a crack in the road. Right. Each one is perceiving it slightly differently, but not perceiving it as the rope. Now, is that the rope's fault? No. Is it, does it make an effect on the rope? Does it, these gunas, gunas are the qualities. One quality of one rope, snake is that it's black. The other one is it got golden and diamonds on it. Third is that it's a twig. Fourth quality is that of the rope, uh, of a crack in the wood, in the, in the road. Does that affect the rope? No, has no effect on the rope. Rope is the rope and it's always been there. None of these gunas of the snake impinge on the rope itself. So you could see God in any way you want, as an elephant, as a dog, as a fault, as garbage, as good stuff. It doesn't have any effect on God. God is pure, not tainted by your misperception of God. Um, you could see Mars as having a boulder on it, or river on it, rope, or water on it. It has no difference as far as what you perceive now or what you perceived when it did have water right. on it. Your happiness, lastly, is your bondage. You look at this uh, snake and you say, oh, that's the most beautiful snake I've ever seen. I won't go near it, but I love it. I'm so happy that I saw this beautiful black snake. You're happy. You're bound now to that snake. Instead of being bound to what produced it, which is God, which you haven't separated out. So you're bound to your happiness, which is making you see something. Friends, if you don't understand this, if it's complicated, if it's deep, I sympathize and empathize with you. It is not easy. You have to listen again and again and again. But once you get it, yeah. you get it. You get it. And it's so much fun. So I hope I haven't gone way, way, way over my time, friends. And I apologize if I did, but I believe me, take notes, write this down, listen to it, think about it, do manana and reflection, and there will be tremendous rewards for you. Lou, what do you say? Loved it. Loved it. Right. It's something you're going to have to go through this episode a couple of times, but this is the essence of this, right? It's the ability to perceive Brahman because it doesn't activate our senses. We have to find, we have to have knowledge. We have to do it. We have to do it in our thoughts and our spirituality. We can't do it through our sense organs. So this is going to be a journey for us. It's something we have to work on. Yeah. And you know, we, this is now recorded. You can listen to it again and again, friends, but wait till you see the rest of the chapter. This is just going to get deeper and deeper. I think you found that with chapter 13. I hope you will find it in chapter 14, and then you have another chapter 15 after that that is going to be absolutely fascinating. So thank you for joining us. Go to the Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, um, and if you can watch it on Facebook, watch it. Leave me some messages there. I will be happy to respond to as many of them as come across my eyes. Thank you.